Good morning, everybody. Man, am I glad to see you here. I didn't know if anybody would be here because it is spring break. Uh, Wilshire is blessed with a lot of educators, people who do a lot of teaching, and uh, the last two years has been really hard on anyone in healthcare and education. And Wilshire is blessed with people in both fields, lots of other fields, but especially those two fields. And this week, for the majority of Oklahoma City schools, Oklahoma City school, uh, Edmond schools, colleges, universities, this is spring break, and it is a much-deserved break for our educators. And so that partly explains the big gaps in the auditorium this morning. Uh, but it's well-deserved, I'm glad they're able to do that. And I'm also glad that anybody is here because you lost an hour of sleep. Uh, if you're like me, we, we had some dinner with friends last night. We left their house at about 8.30 or so, and um, well, it was Dustin and Heather Sims. You guys remember Dustin and Heather? We were with them, and on the way out the door, Heather says, don't forget to change your clocks. And it had not dawned on me that I was losing an hour of sleep, or else I probably would have left before dessert. Well, I wouldn't have left before dessert, but I would have left quickly after dessert to get, to get that hour of sleep. But I am really glad that you're here. So uh, we're studying 1 John, and we're going to be in chapter 2 this morning, but before we get there, I want to start in John chapter 17, the Gospel of John chapter 17. So let me set the scene for you a bit. Jesus has washed his disciples' feet. Judas has snuck out to get his 30 pieces of silver for betraying Jesus, and then from chapter 14, 15, and 16, Jesus has been having what scholars have called the farewell discourse. It's this conversation that, that you have with people before you die. You know you're going to die. And Jesus is having this conversation, knowing this is kind of one of the last teaching moments, at least before the crucifixion. And You've read this, most of us have read this, you've heard it preached on. This is that stretch of scripture where Jesus says, I want you to love each other. And, and I'm going to send you the Spirit, the Comforter, and, and He's going to guide you into all truth. He's going to reveal things that you're not able now to bear, and I'm going to send Him. This is also the text of scripture where Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, for in my Father's house there are many mansions. Thomas says, how do we know where you're going? And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that's, that's this stretch of text from chapters 14, 15, and 16. But as he's finishing this last conversation with his disciples, he prays. And that's what John 17 is in your Bible. It's the longest recorded prayer of Jesus that we have anywhere. It's one of the longest recorded prayers in all of Scripture. But Jesus takes this moment to pray, and, and here's his prayer, just the beginning of it. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all people to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. This is eternal life, 
that they may know you. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Now he goes on to pray for a lot of other things. Protect them from the world. Help them understand that they are in the world, not of the world, that language. He prays for unity, but he starts this prayer. And I want you to listen to this simple phrase again. This is eternal life, that they may know you. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. Do you know God? Now, I'm guessing you know about God. I mean, you're here. You lost an hour of sleep and you're still here. You've taken communion. We've sang songs together. You've, we've listened to prayers. You've managed to stay awake at least five minutes into the sermon. But do you, do you know God? You know about God from the things we've sung, by the things we've prayed. How do you know if you know God? Now, we have all different ways of talking about this, and people wonder and they worry about this. Do I know God? Do I really know God? And in social sciences, in, in just surveying the popular opinion of culture, people try to get at the number of people who sense a knowledge or concept of God. And we usually poke at this spirituality is what people are looking for. And in the scientific world, they, they like to use this, this concept, how do you know when you see whatever it is you're trying to observe? The fancy word for that is operationalize. How do you operationalize this, operationalize this concept so that you know it when you see it? How do you operationalize knowing God? So they, they do all these surveys. One of the more famous ones, a Pew Research survey, they do quite often is the Religious Landscape Survey, where they try to measure the religiosity of people. How do you know someone is religious? How do you know that when you see it? Well, they, they ask people very... Various questions, 63% of people in 2021 identify themselves as Christians. Well, that's got to mean something, doesn't it? But 3 out of 10 uh, have identified themselves as the nuns. That's N-O-N-E-S, not N-U-N-S. It's different. The nuns, they're not affiliated. That means they're atheists, they don't believe in God, or agnostic, they don't know what to believe, or I don't want anything to do with anything religious, but I believe in something somewhere out there. But how do you know if people are really religious-minded people? Well, they, they ask them, what do they believe? 51% consider that religion is very important to their life. 86% believe in a heaven. 72% believe in a hell. That, that's got to mean something, doesn't it? Or they ask them what they practice. How do you conduct your life in certain ways? And so 45% say they pray daily. 31% attend religious service at least once a month or more. Maybe that's how you operationalize knowing God. Do you go to church? 
Do you believe the right things? That's how you know if you know God. That's one way. And that's all well and good, but but what Jesus wants you to do, Jesus wants you to know God. Do you know God? Not just know things about God or, or things affiliated with God. Jesus wants you to know God. In, in other areas, we talk about levels of relationship. Kind of the three big ones are someone is an acquaintance. Think about an acquaintance as someone you, you go to the same restaurant every day or every other day, and they know your order, they know your name. They don't really know much about you, do they? They know that you like chicken minis and a medium sweet tea, and that's the depth of their knowledge, hypothetically speaking, of course. These are people, they, they're acquaintances. And then there are people we call friends. These are people who know more about us. They know our likes and our dislikes. They know our history. They know other people in our life. They know us. But then there are people in our lives we refer to as intimates, people who know us. They know what we're afraid of. They know what we're ashamed of. They know what we're proud of. Now, all three of those know you. But who knows you? This past weekend, I got to see a lot of you two weekends ago, I guess, I saw several of you at Affirming the Faith. Affirming the Faith is really an interesting weekend because if, if you've grown up in and around Churches of Christ in central Oklahoma area, and you go to Affirming the Faith, it's like a big family reunion. And you walk around and you see lots of people, and you see people, you don't know their name, but you've seen them all of your life. Their faces are familiar, and you see them and you wave at them. And there are other people, you know their name, maybe you've worked with them, you've worshipped with them, you lived near them, maybe you went to college with them, and you know them a little more intimately and a little better. And then there are the people who know you. I had a weird encounter with a person that I talked to for 10 minutes, and they knew me. They were asking about my family, they were asking about Wilshire, they were asking about, and I didn't have a clue who I was talking with. Have you ever had that experience? It's terrible. And you don't want to stop and say, who are you? I mean, that just comes across poorly. And so I committed myself to listening. If you do this well, if you listen to details, maybe something they're going to say in the middle of the conversation, and you realize, oh, we went to school together, or oh, we had that class together. And we taught, and 10 minutes into it, I still had no clue who I was talking to. And I finally had mustered up the courage to ask them. I kept waiting for someone else to come along and say their name, you know, and kind of cheating. And I finally was about to ask them who they were, and their phone rang, and they took the call and left. I still don't have a clue who I talked to. I don't know them. Jesus wants you to know Not know about, not be an acquaintance, not just know his name or some of his family. God, Jesus prays in John chapter 17 that you will know God. 
Now look with me at 1 John chapter 2. Because one of the things happening in John's letter is that there is this dispute on what it really means to know God. There are all these different theories on, well, I know God because of this. Or I know God because of that. And this church and this community was very divided on what it really means to know God. When John starts his, his letter or this tract that he writes in 1 John, he kind of makes it pretty clear that he knows God. Here's how John starts the book. That which is from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, we have seen it, we testify and we proclaim it to you. The eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen, we have heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. When John in 1 John talks about fellowship with God, he's talking about knowing God. The word fellowship, we use it all the time, usually to refer to food and meals, a fellowship meal. Or sometimes people will say, well, we interrupt this fellowship so we can start worship. Listen, what we are doing in worship is fellowship. The word fellowship means to have in common, to share together. And John is talking about, I have seen, I have heard, I have touched God's Son. And it's through Jesus that we know God. But there was this debate among the people that John writes to, wanting to know, but yet, who really knows God? It's kind of like you ever, you ever had this conversation or you watched people have this conversation about who knows someone better than someone else? You know, do you know Jim Baird? Well, some people say, well, yeah, I know Jim Baird. I go to church with him. Well, I know Jim Baird because I went to school with him. Well, I know Jim Baird because I have traveled the world with him. Or I know Jim Baird because we lived in their house. And people sometimes get in a contest on who knows someone better than someone else. And that's happening to the people John writes to. Do you know God? Well, I know God better than you. And there were two camps in John's church that he writes to. Two theories on the people who know God best. And these theories are on opposite ends of the spectrum. Here's the first one. You only know God if you are sinlessly perfect. So, in 1 John, John seems to address this to people. People who say, I have no sin. That's the only way you know God. If you sin, you don't know God at all. Sinless perfection. And, and that may sound odd, but there, there are really two explanations for what's going on. There are some people who actually believe that. I, I don't sin. I'm better than that. I don't make those mistakes. I am beyond that. And there was another form of belief floating around in John's day 
it's an early form of what later gets to be known as Gnosticism, that, that I don't sin because I have this special knowledge and this special revelation of God. And I am above that, that the things of the flesh don't really apply to me. I am a spiritual person, and therefore nothing in the flesh really matters. You can live and you can do whatever you want to do, as long as you intellectually have connected with God through some mystical, experiential moment in your life. And you just kind of float above sin. So that you may do some ridiculously wrong things, but that's not sin. Because I know God. And God doesn't really care about those things. God cares about the spirit and not the flesh. And so there were some people in John's community that say what it really means to know God is to have no sin in your life. Anybody make that claim today? Do you know God? If that's our definition of knowing God, anybody here know God? John says you don't. If you say you have no sin, you are a liar. Because you're not perfect. And not only are you a liar... You make God out to be a liar because God said you're a sinner and that's why I'm sending my son Jesus Christ. And I'm sending my son so that if you walk in the light, this is chapter 1, if you walk in the light, then the blood of Jesus continues to cleanse you. Listen, walking in the light of Jesus does not mean sinless perfection. You've got it all figured out. If it did, you don't still need his blood to cleanse you. But it does mean someone who has turned their face towards God and is walking, and day after day, you're putting step in front of step, trying to follow God. It is not a call to sinless perfection. That was one side of the coin. So there's people who are debating, well, I know God. I know God. And some people saying, I've got this perfect revelation of God. I've got this perfect sinless life. John says, doesn't work that way. That's not what it means to know God. The other side of the coin is maybe this belief in privilege. That because I have this special connection to God with my special knowledge of God, that this sin stuff doesn't concern me. And John wrote to them too. The beginning of chapter 2, after he says, look, if, if you claim that you're without sin, you're a liar. John says, but I'm writing to you, children, so that you do not sin. This belief that, that you're beyond sin or that sin doesn't influence you or that, that all that matters is that you know God intellectually but not in any type of way. John says that's not how it works either. It's not perfection, and it's not privilege. That is not what it means to know God. Now, before I show you what John means when he talks about knowing God, I just want to ask you, does, do those two sides sound familiar to you? Have you heard those claims today? That to know God means you must be sinless and perfect. 
there are people who think that about any relationship with God. That the only way you can know God, the only way you can have an experience and a connection to God is to have your life already cleaned up. And they think you can only come to church if your life is all fixed. Or they think God is only interested in you when you get it all figured out, then we can talk. Do you know anyone like that? I would go to church, but I've just got too many problems in my life that I need to figure out first. I believe in God, but I just, I, I, gotta, I got some other things going on right now. It's the same thing. They, they have this idea that knowing God means you have sinless perfection in your life. And if we're not careful, maybe we inadvertently send that signal as the church sometimes. There's a book you've heard Jim and me talk about it several times. It's titled Unchristian. It was some research that was done on how non-Christians view Christian people. And one of, the, one of the things is that the church is too judgmental. People use that word in a lot of ways that I think Scripture would kind of say, eh, I don't know. But they tell this story in the book of a guy who was invited to speak at a youth event. And he noticed before he got up to speak, that there was kind of a holdup outside. There were people wanting to come in, but they weren't coming in. And he thought maybe it's one of these things, you know, some events you, you have to pay to offset costs and, and let things happen. He thought maybe someone back there can't pay. And so he wanted to go back and tell them, look, uh, I'll pay, just let them in. And they said, no, no, it's not a problem of people being able to pay to get in. There are just people out here we don't want infecting our youth group with their personalities. That the only people we want in here, what they were saying is, we only want people in here who've already got it figured out. That church and a relationship with God is only for people who already live the way they're supposed to. And unless your life is fixed and tuned up and polished, you don't belong here. You cannot know God. And John says, if you say you have no sin, you're a liar yourself. You see, this, this idea that John was wrestling in 1 John is still floating around. And it's still wrong. But so is the other extreme. That look, I believe in God. I know God. But I'm going to live the life I want to live. And God just wants me to do what I want to do. God wants me to be free and God wants me to be happy. And so all that religious stuff, and none of that matters to me. There's a rise, as I mentioned earlier, in as they survey people's religious views, this rise in people who are, are non-affiliated. I don't want anything to do with church. I'm going to live my life 
God is important, but so is success in my job, in my career. God is important, but I'm going to go live whatever life I want to live. I'll see God on Sundays, but the rest of the week is mine. And in survey after survey, social scientists have identified a large percentage, not just some, but a large percentage of people who claim to be Christians. And yet, survey results show Christians were nearly as likely as anyone else to gamble, to visit pornographic websites, to take something that didn't belong to them, to physically fight or abuse someone, to drink too much, to use an illegal drug, to have said something that wasn't true, to have gotten back at someone for something they did, and to have said mean things behind someone's back. And they still said, I know God. There are people who claim to know God who want nothing to do with what God says. But I go to church on Sunday. But I believe the right things. But I was baptized when I was a kid. So I know God. It's this place of privilege. It's just like what John was talking about. As long as you know something cognitively, as long as you've had some religious experience in the past, then you know God, and that's all that really matters. I want you to listen to John. Do you know God? By this we know that we have come to know Him, if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him, ought to walk in the same way that he walked. Do you know God? Not do you know about God. Not do you know survey answers pointing to God. Jesus prayed and John talks about knowing God. John says, for all of you out there arguing, is it sinless perfection or a place of privilege? Let me tell you how to operationalize, how to identify anyone that says they know God. Do you keep God's commandments? You cannot claim to know God and care less about what God thinks. You cannot say, I know God and completely ignore what God has given us. There's an Old Testament prophet by the name of Hosea who looked out over his society and his culture. Jewish people who were supposed to know God. And Hosea looked around at these people who claimed to be God's people and he said, there is no faithfulness or steadfast love. 
There is no knowledge of God in the land. How did he know that? Because there is swearing and lying and murder and stealing, people committing adultery. They break all bounds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Hosea says these people don't know God. Because if they knew God, they would know that's not who God is. That is not what God stands for. And John says, you want to know if you know. You want to know if someone else truly knows God. It's not some experience. It's not some mystical knowledge. It's very easy. They keep God's commandments. They walk as Jesus walked. Jesus was God in the flesh. John said, we've seen him, we've touched him, we know him. And once you know God, you were drawn into his image to follow him. To know Jesus is to walk with Jesus. What would that look like? If Jesus were a student like some of you, what kind of student do you think Jesus would be? Would he work hard? Would he try to become what God wants him to be? Would he respect his fellow students? Would he respect his teacher? Would he respect his professor? What kind of student would Jesus be? What would it mean to walk like Jesus walks if he walked into your classroom? Or what if Jesus were a teacher? What does it mean to walk like Jesus walks? Would he respect kids? Would he honor values and morals? Would he work to help develop people? What does it look like to walk like Jesus walked if he walked into a classroom as a teacher? If Jesus sat in your living room, he sat at your kitchen table, and he interacted with the people you interact with in your family, what would it look like for Jesus to walk into your family? If Jesus were the minister of this church, what kind of minister would he be? How would he treat people? What would he say to people? John says, don't tell me what you know. The facts. If you want to know that you know God, you've got to show it in your life. Knowing God means showing God in your everyday life. The way you walk, the way you talk, the way you treat other people. You see, the, the debate that John steps into in 1 John about what does it mean to know God? Is it perfection? Is it privilege? John cuts right down to the bone. He says, I'll tell you how you know. It's no secret. It's no mystery. There's no guessing. You know God if you keep his commandments. And if you walk the way Jesus walked. 
Do you know someone in your life who's a really good gift giver? I mean, Christmas, birthday, they've, they've got it down to an art. They know exactly what to buy you. They find things that they know you like. And they find things that, that you will love that you didn't know you needed or wanted, but you love them. Have you ever tried to buy a gift for someone you did not know? That's hard to do. You don't know what clothes they wear. You don't, you don't know what places they like to eat. You don't know what, what movies. They, you don't know. What do you buy them? You, you can't even get them a gift card because you don't know where they like to shop. When you know someone, when you really know someone, you know the things they love, the things they want. That's what Jesus is praying for. That's what John is talking about. So let me ask you the same question we started with. Do you know God? Not do you know about God. Not do you show up for an hour once a week to sing things about God or listen to people talk about God. Do you know God? Do you show God in all that you do? That does not mean sinless perfection. He sent his son because we can't do that. And it's not privilege that means, well, you've had some experience with him, so therefore, that's all that matters. No, no, no. Do you know God? Do you walk as he walked? That's what John wants us to know today. And so that's your challenge for the week ahead. To show that you know God. By walking the way he walked. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful that you sent Jesus to show us who you are, how you live, how you love, how you treat others, and how you call us to righteousness. Lord, we are not perfect. John was right that we are not without sin, but we are grateful that through Jesus you continually forgive us as we point our way to walk in the light. And so, Lord, we pray this morning for that forgiveness. But we also pray for that strength to walk as he walked, to live out your word, to keep your commandments everywhere we go this week. This is our prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. So this morning I invite you to become... Someone who knows God. To begin walking in the light, to step out, to put your life in his hands, in faith, repentance, and baptism. And listen, when you come up out of the water, that doesn't mean your life is fixed and everything's going to be easy and you're never going to sin. But what it does mean is that you've pointed yourself towards God. And as you walk in the light, as he is in the light, then the blood of his son Jesus will continue to cleanse you.
We invite you to that step today as we stand and sing together.